Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of NTCA, Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we have a fun show lined up for you. Um, Tom Miller from Syracuse, uh, he's done MTCA Masterclass for the past couple of years, and he is just my kind of teacher because he, he infuses Shakespeare into musical theater always. He, he makes them get up and do Coriolanus when they're singing. Um, we also tried to connect over fantasy football, though we didn't do too much on it. We got too distracted with all of our talk of babies. He also has a very young baby. Um, this is another one of our college deep dive episodes where we give you that snackable audio tour into various great theater programs around the country. Today on the pod, we talked about conservatory-style training in a liberal arts college. We talked about the idea of community and how their live class is like a pep rally. Um, we talked about the idea of unlocking your inner clown, some of their co-productions with Syracuse Stage. Um, we talked about that idea of instead of trying to get it right, try to get it honest. Um, and Tom gives you the advice to check in with where you are and speak from there when you're beginning an audition, which I think is really cool advice. Um, before we get into the, the episode though, Megan, how are you doing? I'm doing great, but more importantly, how are you doing? You're six weeks into fatherhood. Is that correct? Oh yeah. For, like right now, five and a half weeks. So I guess by the time people are hearing this, mm-hmm. six weeks. I know that you and Tom didn't really get to share, like really get to hone in, you know, our sports ball, uh, mentality of our podcast on this episode, but you got to chat about your, your children after we finished recording. So that was really sweet. Yeah, we did oh. get the blonde over, and there she is. Oh, perfect timing. Did her first appearance on the pod. Yeah, there you go. Hey, Solvay. She heard our cue. Heck yeah. Um, but it is fantastic. Um, it's really fun. It's an adjustment, certainly. The sleep is an adjustment, um, mm. and so many <laughs> things, which, of course, a lot of you parents who are listening are going to really relate to. Um, it's been really sweet. As like, We just had our first mock audition for MTCA, first live mock audition uh, um, a couple weeks ago. It'll be a couple weeks ago. Now it was a week ago. All right, now we're in the past and the present. Exactly. Past, present, future. Now it's yeah. happening because of the future, um, even though we're getting closer to lined up now, finally. Um, but it was really sweet. Like as I was talking about parenthood, I just like watched, looked out at all of our parents, our parents who were, have 17 year olds and re- like they all looked like I would trade it for a second. Like they're like, they're so, you know, bittersweet as they're sort of seeing their kids off into the world. Um, and mm-hmm. here we are having a brand new person. It was really sweet. It really it touched me to think someday that'll be me. Someday. Yeah. It'll I'm sure it'll come quicker than you think. Oh my God. Already it's going quicker than you think. Already there's like, it's like she's a week old and then she's two weeks old and then she's three weeks old and she's a different person. Like, I know that seems crazy. To those who don't have kids, you're like, oh my God, that's, she's you're about literally two weeks, but it's, she's different. She's like a different human being th- at three weeks than she was at two days. It's just the truth. What's up? Tell the listeners one fun story about Solvay thus far. Um, 
<laughs> Fun stories about Solomon. She did her first trip. We went up to Storm King um, on, on Labor Day. We went up to Storm King, which is like an uh, outside art museum. It's like a park and a museum kind of put together. It was really that cool. That was your first like family photo. That wasn't like you, you strolling. I yes, saw it was with Rosa. Yes. Yeah. She's, uh, and she did great in the car. She did great. She was really, um, you know, at this point, a three-week-old baby, it's like they're eating and they're pooping and they're sleeping. And that's basically <laughs> it. So it's like if they're doing those things successfully, then we're happy, right? There's only great. the only things that are not that could be pro- problems right now. Um, but it's all going well and she's a very good baby. Great. So exciting. Um, I hope you guys really are hoping for more child content because we're going to try to give mm-hmm. you a little bit more each episode. Well, if I have any great discoveries of new parenthood, I'm going to try to um, loop those in. But short of that, let's get into the episode with Tom. Well, we are thrilled to have Tom Miller from Syracuse on the pod. Uh, Tom has a BFA in acting from the University of North Carolina School of the Arts and an MFA in acting from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. He has a distinguished acting career as well as singing and a dialect coach um, and is now an assistant professor at Syracuse where he's the acting and assistant program coordinator. Um, Syracuse is located in Syracuse, New York. Uh, They take classes of around 45 to 50 between their different tracks. Um, And they offer degrees, a BFA in musical theater, a BFA in acting, which offers an actor-singer track that we'll get into a bit, as well as a BFA in theater design and technology and a BS in drama. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing well as well. I'm excited to dive in and talk a little about Syracuse. Um, Before we do, just tell me a little bit more about your own background in terms of how did you find yourself to be in this current position? Oh, it's a great question. Uh, So when I graduated undergrad, I had lined up that next year, six different plays. And I had about four months off between a couple of those contracts. And I've always been passionate about teaching as a responsibility. I feel like uh, I have been blessed to work with what I believe to be some of the best and brightest creative minds of my generation. And I feel like if you have that opportunity, then it's your responsibility to train the next generation of them. So I always try to do it when I had time between gigs and uh, happened to find out that there was a professor at Syracuse who was going on creative research leave for one semester and they needed someone. So I applied for those four months and when I, and I got that job. And then when I was here, I remember I was merging onto the highway after leaving a faculty meeting on a Monday and I merged in and it was kind of busy traffic and I started smiling and then I started laughing and then I started crying and I was like, what is wrong? <laughs> and then I realized that I was happy hmm. and, and I was like, oh, maybe hmm. I should teach. And cause I had always planned on going right back to my career. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then I finished those gigs I had for the rest of that year. And that, which included a couple of shows in Vermont and then, uh, playing Bobby and company at a theater in Chicago. And then mm. I finished that, found out that the person I was covering for that one semester was retiring at the end of the year. They did a national search and I applied and I got the job and they brought me back tenure track. That's so cool. I, for a while, I thought that was a metaphorical highway, but you're saying it's a literal highway that you were merging. It's a literal highway, I, a literal highway. I was driving to, uh, to Liverpool, which is like just outside yeah. the city. It's a suburb uh, where I was staying at the time. Yeah. So fun. So fun. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's dive a little bit into Syracuse. Um, from your perspective, I'd love to hear a little bit of like, what do you think it means to be a Syracuse student? Well, 
I think one thing that sets Syracuse students apart is that they are receiving a conservatory style training and a liberal arts education, right? Mm. So it's not fully conservatory. So they still get a large college experience, including, you know, the the um, the Greek life, if they want it, the the football games, the basketball games, all of that, right? Which which I didn't have in my undergrad. We were the pickles, right? The fighting pickles. And so, <laughs> the national championships for the fighting no, pickles. No, no, unfortunately. Well, did not play for the, the fighting pickles. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, so they get that. But as far as like the dynamic here in the Department of Drama, we, I think we focus on the fact that we are a community. We are not a family. We are a community, right? And that we are brought together with a shared set of uh, beliefs and skills and uh, desires and wishes that we support each other through that. And I think we are what I guess keen to talk about the difference between fun and joy and Mm. that not everything in this career or in this training, not everything's going to be fun, but hopefully it will lead to great joy. Right. Mm. Um, So there's that. I think also Syracuse students are curious. I think they are passionate. I think they are usually very informed, supportive of their peers. Um, And sometimes (laughs) I would, I would say almost, over enthusiastic. We um, there's a there's a class that happens every week on Wednesdays called Lab, and at Lab, uh, the entire school of drama gathers, and we have announcements uh, from each uh, student rep. Right, so the there's a student rep for musical theater, there's a student rep for acting, design, tech, stage management. EDI. So then they might give uh, announcement to the students and then there's programming, right? And since we're attached to Syracuse stage, sometimes it will be the cast from Syracuse stage coming in to talk about the process. Mm. Sometimes it's us bringing, let's say, um, counselors from the wellness center, the Barnes wellness center down to talk to our students about mental and um, uh, emotional health. And sometimes, you know, so there's lots of programming, but in the beginning, those first couple minutes, uh, it feels like a pep rally. I mean, the it's it's insane. It's I remember getting here and thinking, are they being sarcastic? But no, they're just that enthusiastic about are lab. Thinking, are they painting themselves? Are there is there pom poms? What's happening? Not quite, but it's not far off. I mean, because they, they come and they'll say, okay, we've got announcements. So people are, you know, um, and so can you know, so and so come up and talk for the sophomore musical theater, and people are like, yeah. And they go crazy and um it's very loud and i'm always like use yourself well please you know i'm just making yeah exactly <laughs> yes forward placement and support so um so yeah so so there's that um i think another thing that sets us a little bit apart and this is regards a little bit to training but also who we bring in right is as far as students are concerned is um is i think we try to unlock their inner clown you know mm-hmm that instead of trying to be like some cookie cutter actor, we're not trying to train that. We're trying to find a unique person who has an artist within them and teach their artist how to play. Well, let's dive a little more into that. So imagine I do show up at Syracuse and you know I'm curious and I'm overly enthusiastic and passionate <laughs> and all this stuff. What are some tools that I'm gonna leave with four years later? So what are what am I gonna get trained on and how am I gonna change as an artist or a technician as I'm um, working for those four years? That's great. So there are a lot of, I would say you're going to get a kitchen sink model of, um, of education, right? As far as there's no, we don't subscribe to, we all do Linklater. We all do Fitzmorris. We all do Strasburg. We all do Meisner. We all, right. But we're going to introduce you to all of those things. And we have faculty on, um, 
we have faculty here who have specialization in a lot of different areas. So one thing that I think is a, is a strength of our program is that you might identify that this instructor who teaches this kind of methodology is the one that speaks to you. And mm -hmm. so then you could then seek out almost a mentoring relationship with that teacher and learn a lot more about that and get a deeper understanding of what that material is. So that's useful. Mm -hmm. um, I think for myself, I have a process that I leave students with, uh, hopefully at the end of four years, but I start teaching it in the freshman year about how to cultivate a system of generosity and positivity with yourself about your work mm -hmm. that isn't just based in like, always only looking at the things that were working, but is also diagnostic. So you're able to acknowledge the things that are working and identify the thing that is missing. And then we give you um, tools, games, exercises to then court that thing that is missing. Does that make sense? It does. I often yeah. talk about like a game tape mentality, the ability to like, let's look at the game tape. How do we, so you can do that without judgment of like, I sucked. It didn't go well. You're like, what did we do? How, did this, how do I improve? Absolutely. And what I love about what you just said is two things. One, I do wish that often students would think of it a little bit more like sports. And the reason mm -hmm. is because if you're, let's say you have a batting coach, right? And the batting coach says, you know, loosen your grip, choke up on the bat. You're not going to say, you know, but I work so hard. You're just going to yeah, assume. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're just going to assume that they're trying to help you bat better. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you'll try something new. And I wish, even though the work that we do can be you know, personal in nature, right, that the coaching of it, because we're even called, right, a monologue coach, an accent coach, a dialect coach, right? We're coaching a monologue. Like there, that I wish that we could keep that kind of sports mentality as far as just trying to help you be better at this skill that you are working on right now, right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing I like that you talked about is um, often we, I think many students or artists, right, will finish and they'll say, oh, these are all the things I did wrong or these are all the things that I messed up. or, And I, I told my students this morning, actually, because I was introducing this concept to the freshmen. And I said, I just want to be clear that negativity has no greater relationship to authenticity than positivity does. Mm. You know, just because when people say I'm being real, nah, not that doesn't, you know, just because you're about to say something mean doesn't mean you're being real. You know, <laughs> I Those keep it real. <laughs> exactly. Those are very different things. I also think that often students will talk to themselves in a way that they would never talk to another uh -huh. person. Mm -hmm. And so how can we train you to be just as generous with yourself as you would to the person sitting next to you? Oh, that's also true. Also true. Um, let's get a little, speaking of sports, by the way, if anyone listens to this podcast, they've heard enough sports metaphors for a lifetime. They're so sick of it. All my takeaways are always sports related. Oh, good. So um, we can talk about fantasy football after this is done then. Exactly true. Okay, exactly true. I'm <laughs> 2-0. Um, it's no big deal. Um, <laughs> outside of the theater program, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about like, so both educationally and then into stuff like Greek life. What else am I getting from being a Syracuse student um, that goes beyond just the, the drama program? Well, it's a research one university, right? So that means that uh, so all of your professors are current in the field in which they are instructing, right? And have an active research life. And for us, that means a performance life or a research life. Uh, and whether that's like, um, I guess, writing for different, uh, what, uh, oh, what, like peer journals, right? Mm -hmm. um, for me, that means continuing to act. So 
I tend to do anywhere between like three to six plays a year. And so I will be leaving in March to go play Sir Galahad the Dashingly Handsome and Spamalot the Musical, right? Um, up at uh, Northern Stage in Vermont, where, mm. which is kind of an artistic home for me. I, I played once there. I, I played Guyan once there a couple of years ago. And, um, uh, but also I'm going to be working in uh, the next week or two coaching this Italian actor on his American accent for a movie mm. that I've been working on with um, Tosca Musk, who's Elon Musk's sister. So I, because I'm current in these fields, those relationships I have also serve to further my students' careers, right? Um, I had a student who I brought on set during filming because I uh, he was available. I had the time and I thought, okay, then do you want to come? And he said, yeah, came, introduced him. And he just booked, actually, he's going to have to miss a day of class to go um, do a guest spot on New Amsterdam the TV mm. show. Um, and he said that one of the reasons he feels prepared is because he's been on set before. He's he's seen how the whole thing works. And so that's one of the benefits to being at Syracuse and an R1 university is that we have to remain current in this field and that those relationships can serve you in lots of ways. I love that. Um, all right, a bit of a tricky question. Let's imagine one of our students has gotten into Syracuse and a number of other exciting universities. Why do you find sometimes that students don't choose Syracuse? Why, why do they choose a different school um, over your school? I think... And, and I think they should. You have to trust your gut. I mean, there's something in you that's going to say, I like the, the way that this person speaks to me. I like what this person has to say about my work. I know I can learn from that person. Because when you find a mentor or when you find um, your community, right, there's something in you that knows. And so I think there's the short answer, I think, is there are a lot of reasons why people choose not to go to Syracuse. I hope that none of them are about feeling, you know, they should, everyone I hope feels welcome. I hope everyone feels that we are hungry to get to work and we are curious and we are passionate. Um, but so I think students might choose other schools because they like what those people have to say. And that's totally great. Um, because, you know, it was once told to me, I went into an audition and I, um, I sat down in this chair because it was in the middle of the space. It was one of my first auditions in the city, right? And then afterwards, I didn't get the job. And I thought, I did such a great job. I don't know why I didn't. And my you know, my agent called and did get feedback. And he said, um, he said, oh, they, they said you just came and sat in the chair. Uh, and I was like, oh, but the chair was in the middle of the room. I thought they wanted me to. And he said, no, 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 no. Someone just left that there. And he said, but here's the thing. Don't change that because next time you'll get the job because you did sit in the chair. Mm -hmm. Right. So for the people who choose not to come to our program, that's great because because the things that we don't offer that made them go somewhere else are the things that we do offer that make people want to come. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. So totally. weird. I do think uh, there has been also that we are we are working now to identify more means for offering um, scholarship money and things like that, which has been tough for us in the past. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there are some things coming around the the bend that are going to make us a little bit more competitive in those ways, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think that also has become a, a problem. I mean, it, it is an expensive school. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so many of these schools are. I mean, it's the, the yes. exception that is not uh, an expensive school. Mm -hmm. um, specifically now, if I can ask about kind of the musical theater program, is there a, a discipline that you feel like you lead with more from the musical theater perspective in terms of, you know, we would call ourselves an acting-based musical theater school where we focus more on dance. Is there, is there something that sort of leads more um, of the way? Well, I think we're training triple threats. I think we are training people who can do it all. Um, I think if I had to say, I would say that 
one thing that makes our situation unique is that the musical theater students get the exact same training as the acting students for at least the first two years of their training mm -hmm. here. So they're in, as a matter of fact, they're in the same acting classes with all of them. We don't separate them because we want them to be together. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. After the sophomore year, they can continue to take upper level acting classes that the acting majors are required to take if they want to. Um, also, our musical theater students have the option if they would like to in the fall of their junior year to go study at the Globe in London, uh, which is a lot of acting majors do that. And that is also available to MTs and mm -hmm. more and more MTs are choosing to do that because it's an amazing experience. We also have um, the last semester, we have our Tepper semester, right? So that's when most seniors choose to spend their last semester studying in New York City mm -hmm. with um, professionals that we have uh, as faculty there. Um, so all of that is available to empties and actors. So that makes me want to say that we lead towards like acting first, mm -hmm. um, but I might be a little biased because I'm on the acting faculty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the oh, other thing, yeah. And the other proof for that, I think too, lies in the fact that we've created this actor singer track. You just can ask about it. Yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what we identified was that there are a lot of students, right? Who have wonderful voices and are strong acting abilities and might not have studied dance much coming into you know their audition season in their senior year and uh, so they might not be as competitive in that situation and so we thought well who is who's training those people mm -hmm. and we thought well we will so we started the actor singer track because an actor singer looks something like this, you know? So, mm -hmm. so. For those who are listening on the audio medium, promise pointed at himself. In case that wasn't yes. clear. Uh, because in order to do things, you know, if you're, if you're going to do Les Mis or if you're going to do Ragtime or if you're going to do Parade or if you're going to do, right? Mm -hmm. It's th There are some serious actor singer musicals mm -hmm. and uh, and we wanted to be able to to focus on training those people and make sure that those people had had a home that would serve them. I love that. And what does that training look like in terms of, do you still get some dance? I'm just imagining your actors get some dance. What does it look like if I'm on actor-singer track in terms of what is being uh, um, offered to me? Great. So you're in the same um, acting classes like we talked about with MT and actors, right? And then you would take the movement curriculum and the acting program. But there is also, uh, there's like a jazz dance for actors. So there's a class mm -hmm. that's been created that is a required course for them. They're still getting a lot of the... Um, uh, uh, music theory aspects of it. So they still have to do all of that. Um, and then they can take dance classes in the school. It's just often about they have to place, right? So mm -hmm. they would have to do like ballet placement in the very beginning, and that would determine whether they needed to stay there, if they can move on and, and all of that. Um, but they do take jazz dance for actors, and then they focus on the movement curriculum for the actor. Um, there's also the, the option of, and this is for all of our students, even if they're not in the actor singer track, if they're just acting majors or musical theater majors, there's also dance classes, what we say up the hill or on the hill, because mm -hmm. Syracuse university drama is actually down this, this hill from main campus. Cause we are in the same building as Syracuse stage, which is uh, Lort regional theater. Um, and so. Uh, when we say on the hill, it's about like main campus, right? And it's not a long walk. It's like, I don't know, probably maybe a third of a mile. And there's a free bus that takes our students back and forth. But up on the hill, there are dance classes there, right? So you could take everything from, I think they have they have jazz, they have hip hop, they even have 
I'm not kidding. Uh, belly dancing was one that was offered and was very popular for a year or two. And I was like, I want to take that. That sounds <laughs> awesome. Um, but so those are also available. And, and to my understanding, you don't need to place into those classes. So, mm-hmm. so if someone was on the actor-singer track but wanted to be doing a little bit more dance, right? They could, even if the dance classes here were full and they didn't place through their ballet placement, they could always take classes on the hill as well. I love that. You mentioned Syracuse Stage. Um, I'd love to hear about what is the relationship with students and potentially working at Syracuse Stage? How does that work? You know, I know a lot of students want to have their equity card when they graduate or some of those things, but how does that work with for you guys? So, yeah, we have a strong relationship with Syracuse Stage. Every year, there is always at least one co-production. And so this year, that is Matilda. Um, so it's usually their holiday show, uh, and they use our students, uh, our students are in the cast with them. So they are working alongside and learning from equity actors and professional directors. Um, the roles that our students play in there, uh, are of a large variety. We have had sophomore students playing leads in the co-production when we did Wizard of Oz, Dorothy was a sophomore. When we did mm-hmm. Elf, the musical, we also had, I think, yeah, I think Rachel was a sophomore then too. Um, so musical theater students often play very large roles. Uh, when mm-hmm. we did Beauty and the Beast, musical theater student played Belle. So um, so, so they, and they do get EMC points for all of that. Um, I don't want to say it's not guaranteed that students will lead with their, leave with their equity card, but it is not irregular for that to happen. And now a whole new world with they can just graduate and join. It's a whole different yeah. thing. Well, the union stuff. That's for that's for later podcasts. We talk about post school things. <laughs> I look forward to those. Is there anything else that, about your school that we missed? Anything else you wanted to brag about? We go. Oh, I, I had I came prepared with this little tidbit. Well, I guess it's just this. One of the reasons that I love where I teach is the faculty here is just so passionate and so supportive. Uh, of each other and of the students, um, when we when we come to have our conversations about curriculum or about process or about you know um, policies, it's always student first, and I just don't think that happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I, I have loved that, and it's been very important for me and why I stay here. It's beautiful. Okay, let's take a short break. And when we get back from the break, we'll be talking about the Syracuse audition process. Ooh, (laughs) the intrigue. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we are back with Tom Miller. Um, Tom, we're going to dive into the audition process. So I'm going to ask you a, a tough and probably unfair question, but... In short, what do you think makes a great audition for Syracuse? I think that what makes a great audition for Syracuse is, well, preparation. 
right? So that they're coming in, they know the material, they've explored the material. Um, I often talk to my students about being prepped to play so that it's not that they learn something in one way but they learn they learn something that um that they have many options available to them on how to you know respond to the impulse in a moment um and maybe they've rehearsed it one way but then when a teacher um says hey can you try it like this that they're willing to jump in mm -hmm. and do that and i think you can only have that ability afforded you if you are prepped to play right so mm -hmm. there's that i also think I encourage students to replace ambition with curiosity. And I think it's important to me because when you are in an audition, right, there is, if you're thinking, oh, if I book this job, then I go to this school, right? If I, if I go to the school, mm -hmm. then maybe I'll meet these people. And if I meet these people, then I can, well, now your audition isn't about this moment. Your audition is about five years, 10 years from now, mm -hmm. right? And that's not going to help you be present in that room. So I try to coach students to, and, and I'll do this in a coaching session during an audition. I'll ask someone, hey, look, you know, it's, it seems like you're really nervous right now. And I just want to encourage you to try, you know, replace ambition with curiosity hmm. because curiosity will get you present. Um, so there's that. Uh, I also think that we, we do want to see that you're making bold choices, right, physically, um, we want to see that the body is invested in the material, um, which has been a challenge of late, right? Because everyone's acting in these little boxes because of mm -hmm. Zoom and because of the you know current state of the world. Um, so as much as even in this box, right? If we can just like, and we have um, uh, what I guess technological uh, advice on our webpage, mm -hmm. but um, but if you can even give us one of the monologues where you're just, you know, the frame, you frame yourself so we can see a little bit more of the body so we can see that you're engaged to the material. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. Um, I think contrasting material, obviously, because um, we want to see that you're, you're able to take on um, many different types of stories and that you're willing to be bold in many different types of areas. Um, the, oh, I would say this, that when people think about contrasting pieces, I think some people think that that means like funny and serious. And I just uh -huh. think it doesn't have to be that limited, right? Because it can be, you know, a more still introspective piece and a more like aggressive piece. It can be a lover and a fighter. It can be, a, you know, there's mm -hmm. just a lot of different, one can just be like very contemporary text and one can be more poetic. You know what I mean? I think mm -hmm. that we forget that contrasting can be a much broader term. And so... I often look for those in auditions too. Um, what is there anything that you definitely don't want to see in a student's audition, whether that's about material choice or if it's about a presentation uh, choice that they make or something that really, you know, is a big no, no for you. Sure. Um, yes. Well, I think, uh, resistance to taking a note or, um, I mean, obviously if what's being asked of you is inappropriate, then of course you should voice your concern and say, Hey, I don't, I don't feel safe doing this. But if it's about, Hey, can we maybe heighten the urgency here? Can we, you know, we just want to see that people are interested and want to jump into that. Right. Um, so, so that's one thing that we do want. Uh, I also think, yes, making small choices is another thing that, you know, mm -hmm. if they, if they do give you a direction, take it and run with it, try something new, you know, um, I, I often think too, that sometimes students come in and they're trying to make something pretty or make something perfect. And I would much mm -hmm. rather them make it personal instead of trying to, to get it right, mm. try to get it honest. Which in your mind doesn't mean mean is what you're telling me. That's right. That's absolutely right. 
It does not mean um, <laughs> How are these answers different, if they're at all different, with those pre-screen auditions? Is there anything that you specifically, if, as what you're watching pre-screens, you say, oh, God, I this about the box really bothers me, or, or I'd really suggest this. This really works within the, the intimate box that we're all living in right now. It's a great question. Um, the thing that's different in the pre-screens, right, is that I don't have the ability to see how they receive coaching, right? Because mm -hmm. when a live audition, then that's that's a little bit different because then I can interact and see how they receive that. Um, I think in the pre-screens, I kind of want to, I, I guess I want to feel like I met them a little mm -hmm. bit. And some of that is even just how you introduce yourself or what you choose to wear, right? And so instead of trying to find the perfect outfit, try to find the outfit that teaches me something about you, right? Mm -hmm. Or like if you always wear that necklace that your grandmother gave you, but then you're going to audition and you're like, that necklace doesn't look good. I'm thinking, no, no, no. Like that necklace is a part of you and it's important to you. Why don't you wear it here? Like, yeah, you probably won't be able to wear it in every play you ever do forever. You know what I mean? <laughs> but in that moment, like, let me see something that is authentically you. Uh, I often, you know, often we talk about character as something that is revealed, right? Like people revealed their true character. Or, and I guess I want to feel like in the pre-screens that they have revealed something about themselves so that I can meet it and not presented a version of them. Great advice. Um, if you've talked a little bit about these sort of um, redirects or these adjustments that you give in the room, if you had to estimate for you, if you're making a, a vote on a student as a yes or a no, or a maybe or whatever the different votes mm -hmm. you give, how much of that decision in the room for you is based on the kind of skill displayed within the material? So in the in the monologues, in the songs, what you're seeing technically in terms of skill versus those intangibles, if we call that the interview questions and the adjustments and the, you know, how that interaction, how much is in one camp versus the other for you of the ultimate final yes? That's a also a great question. I don't know if I could give you a, a straight percentage. We're looking for a number, only a number. <laughs> only a number. <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, there is a level of talent that wants to be shared that I do want to see, right? This person has a talent with, let's say, uh, heightened language, right? The way they use words is really beautiful. Or um, their commitment to this scene is something that I feel like is completely in their body, right? Um, I think there are a couple things I want to see. I, I want to believe that someone is in a scene not doing a monologue, mm -hmm. right? And that that is more a testimony to their, their buy-in and their ability to make believe, right? So mm -hmm. there's that. But if someone came in and they, and I, and, I was, and I was blown away at their commitment to that scene and that they were totally invested and I heard everything and it was captivating to watch and then I try to give them an adjustment and they can't take the adjustment or they, you know, you know, then, um, mm -hmm. then I'm not going to be really sold on that person because, because I, I want to train a student that's hungry to learn and try new things. Mm -hmm. So it is a huge part of it for me. I would actually rather see the raw talent that is like lacking some technical skill mm -hmm. because that's my job. I mean, my job is to teach them those skills. So I can't expect them to come in with all of those skills. Right. But I just want to see the potential for receiving that skill set. Um, and more importantly, maybe an, uh, a, a willingness to explore mm. those skill sets. Yes. And for your school, at least to the best of your, of your knowledge, 
now that you've if you've said a yes or if you said a maybe or whatever however you've you've voted or graded them artistically how much of that is now um, factored in with the academics so in terms of the university whether you can actually now admit this student how much is based on yes this was artistically strong but here are the grades etc right so we have made uh, our sats and acts optional so that is not a requirement for Syracuse University uh, because for the Department of Drama, because we acknowledge that um, the maybe the skills required to have a, a career and uh, an aptitude for the performing arts might not be the same ones that are required for choosing the right box on a sheet of paper. Right. <laughs> so so we have gotten rid of that. Um, there are like GPA requirements and things like that for um, admission to the university. But we have really no control over uh, how how that gets measured and dealt with. We uh -huh. basically, yeah, so we would see a student and we would take our vote and give a number and um, uh, a yes or a no. And we would send that on to admissions and then based on, and then they would apply to the university. And then there is uh, an element of looking at their academic performance thus far to uh -huh. determine whether it they... To, to your knowledge, is is there leeway within the um, what is the, the Syracuse standard GPA if for a student that they, you really loved, or is it like no, if you're at the not at the academic minimum, it's just not going to work? I think that there is a little bit of leeway because we can take the opportunity to advocate for students that were like, hey, look, mm -hmm. <laughs> like this is, but still, uh, the admissions process, uh, the Office of Admissions, still does make that call, so we can advocate very strongly. Mm -hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean that we will always get those students um, because uh, because, again, going back, you know, we are a research one university. And so that's going to come with a lot of um, other demands. And we just want to make sure. And I, th I, I do think that these um, having these criteria are beneficial to the students, because what we certainly would want to do is advocate for a student to come here who maybe their academic performance, like this is a very, very challenging thing for them, right? Mm -hmm. The ability to perform in certain academic classes. And then they're required to take classes up the hill mm -hmm. at a research level. And uh, and we certainly don't want to you know, be um, admitting people who are, are going to have a really tough time with that, right? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, if that was the case, we would be throwing every resource that we absolutely could to assist that student in performing to the best of their abilities. Um, but we ultimately don't get to make that call. I love it. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about your um, monologue requirements. Um, I, I don't know how intimately familiar you are with what's on the website, um, but Syracuse often, I, I will hold up as an example of you will, you ask for monologues that are from modern plays, preferably after 2000, yes. right? So I'd love to hear a little bit about the thoughts behind that in terms of why that extra after 2000, you just hate last century or what, what, what put that um, and what was sort of the reasoning behind that? Uh, I think we want, so the, the way that the, the trajectory of actor training that we have here is that in the beginning, they're going to be, well, the first class that they're taking is core. So we're going to start, and core is a team taught class with eight instructors. And so we break it down and we have, um, there's four different rotations. So there's core A, core B, core C, core D. And that is based on um, mostly alphabetical by last name. So there's no like core A is this or core D is that. It's not like that, right? And we mm -hmm. try to um, also make the classes, each class as diverse as possible and similar as possible, right? With regards to that. And so, um, so then in that class, they're looking at public solitude. They're looking at a little bit of improv they're, and they're getting the beginnings of 
seen study with regard to objectives and actions and given circumstances, right? In the sophomore year, they're working in contemporary scene study. So that's going to be similar to those plays you just described. After that, then in the third year, fourth year, we start to move into things like style. And then ultimately, we're into like poetic drama and heightened language, right? So if that's the trajectory of training, we certainly don't expect students to come in for their audition working in style and heightened language, mm-hmm. right? Because we don't, we're, we plan to give them the skills to do that before they leave. And so it seems, uh, I would say, needlessly cruel. <laughs> <laughs> to, to ask them to perform to that level for, per, you know what I mean? Um, and if I'm worth my salt as uh, someone who teaches uh, acting voice and teaches heightened language, I should be able to see their ability, their natural ability for that, even just using contemporary language. And so we want to make it easy for students to succeed. We want to make mm-hmm. it easy for them to identify material that is probably age appropriate and something that they can personally attached to, right? Um, which is why we say after 2000, because hopefully, you know, something written that um, current might be easier for them to get inside and move around. Totally makes sense. Um, anything else? Any other piece of advice that you really want to give a prospective student? Let's say I'm auditioning for your school in just a few months from now. And I'm about to see and I walk into that audition room. Anything that you go, I really would want to tell them that's yeah. Okay. I got, hold on, three things. See if I can remember them all. <laughs> One is, of course, like I said earlier, replace ambition with curiosity. Two is have fun. I mean, it's called a play. <laughs> like, that's the job. The job is to play. Right? Mm. So I think, I think there's that. Check in with where you are before you begin and speak from there. I think mm. that often people sit outside an audition room and they say, I'm, I'm cool. I'm not nervous. I'm not nervous. This is fine. I'm cool. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then they go into that room and they expect something honest to happen, an authentic emotional experience. It's like, yeah, but you've been lying to yourself for 20 minutes. <laughs> you've been, you know, it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to be anxious. Mike, I would check in and say, okay, I'm nervous. Well, I'm, I'm playing Romeo talking to Juliet. Well, Romeo would probably be nervous. So why don't I just check in with my feelings, call them Romeo. Mm-hmm. want something and speak. And mm-hmm. I think that that then gets them to start from an authentic place. And it might go in a thousand different directions, but at least they knew that they started from where they are. And um, so that's something that I, I really look for. And uh, It's such good advice. And it feels like from an acting perspective, it also then often does cause the thing you want to happen to happen. If that's you right. say, this is just adrenaline, I'm, exci- I'm using it, you actually calm yourself down a little bit. In the yes. same way, if you're like, stop trying to make yourself cry, actually, you know, and then the tears come. That's, that's so yeah, often that's that right. you, you go, I'm trying so hard to cry. It's like nothing's happening. Nope. It's nope. just dead. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So true. Um, well, let's right. wrap up with just a little bit of looking back and looking ahead. Um, okay. I'd love to talk a little bit about last year and some of the specific challenges of 2021 mm. and how those are challenges of 2020. I guess these are challenges of 2021 and sort of how your school is kind of preparing to meet the, this moment of the demands for racial equity. Certainly we'll talk about that, but then also sure. kind of the demands of a virtual world and, and how that might continue um, moving forward. Yeah, great. Uh, so let's see. So let's start with uh, what you said, racial equity. So um, so one thing that we've done is we had a call to action here from, from alumni and from currently enrolled performance majors to say these are demands that we have and these are things that need to be met and things to be changed. And we met that um, and uh, um, agreed. And 
we develop task forces. We have a task force for production, a task force for climate, and a task force for curriculum. And, uh, and all of that is working to create um, what's supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion in all of those places, right? And they report back to the full faculty, and then the full faculty obviously take that on and implement it, right? So we're working on that. Um, we also have uh, asked students to assist with that. Right. We also have students who sit in on our search committees when we're looking for new faculty so that we have input from students of color with regard to what faculty is hired. Right. So so there's that. Uh, also, as I said earlier, I, I think there's going to be some some uh, some funding that we might get for scholarships, which would be helpful also. Uh, and as far as equity with regard to, let's say, like socioeconomic, uh, when people are doing their pre-screens, anyone can also do their entire audition online. Um, so if they're not able to make it to the live auditions, which we do mm -hmm. here on campus in Chicago, in New York, or in LA, they can do their entire thing, uh, online if they receive a, if they are, um, pushed through after the pre-screen and granted a live audition, they can submit a final recorded audition. And then we would schedule an online interview, like a Zoom interview with faculty, mm -hmm. where they will ask the same questions of each student and just get a sense of who that student is. Um, yeah, and then the online platform. So right now also, uh, to meet the challenges of this world, um, if a student is not feeling well and can't come to class, or if a student isn't feeling well, we encourage them to not come to class mm -hmm. and that they can Zoom in. Right. So then we have and we have bought a lot of technology here. So there's like very large TVs in every room. There's little like conference cameras that can swivel and zoom in. And then we have um, omnidirectional microphones that plug in. So I can put that on the floor in the space so that they're not just hearing me talk, but they're hearing mm -hmm. the conversation and they're asking the questions that their student that their uh, fellow classmates are asking. So we've uh, in, embraced that. Uh, as a means of prioritizing health and wellness, which um, might be one of the most important thing right now, if not at least one of the most important things right now. Mm -hmm. um, because that happened, it made us really look at when we found ourselves uh, surprised and online in the spring of 2020, right? The question wasn't, um, how do I, I can't do the class that I was planning on teaching. The question became, how do I meet the learning outcomes Mm -hmm. with this set of circumstances, right? And so that led to, honestly, a lot of curricular innovation. So I, in my, in my sophomore voice class, I started teaching a voiceover section because I thought, well, I can still teach people about antithesis and point of view and a clear argument and, and uh, having a, a, a clear intention through complicated rhetoric. I can still do that, right? Through audiobook narration, through ad mm -hmm. copy, I can do all of that. And so then uh, last year after that surprise spring, I kept it and it did very well. And it's led to me now saying, hmm, I think I might start to develop a voiceover course, right? Mm -hmm. um, because it went from just working on the copy to then saying, okay, and here's digital audio workspaces that are available. So let's work in Audacity because it's free for our students and we can, right? Um, so there's that. Uh, we also, I have a colleague named Ricky Pack who developed a class called Performance in New Media right? Where they started looking at things like TikTok, started looking at mm -hmm. things like Instagram, right? Creating a following, but creating content in these markets that I think are often not utilized in departments of drama. And so, um, so we started looking at that also in this yeah. new age. We had an actor who came on who said, nobody knows how to sing on camera. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> like, let's just sing with a camera, right? Like, it's just not, it's not a usual skill, right. not something you, you would have worked on 10 years ago in drama school. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
Yeah. So there's that. Also, uh, when we found ourselves online and we thought, okay, great. Well, that means for their scene study classes, they're probably going to have to be doing some self-tapes. So rather than say, great, now tape yourself, we were like, okay, great. So now we have to teach them how to self-tape. And mm -hmm. so that became kind of a fundamental part of our curriculum in the sophomore year. Uh, and we kept it. And so then that's, mm -hmm. Um, it's last semester we did it because we thought, oh, well, we don't know. Maybe we'll end up back online without meaning to, right? So, so then we still went into the sophomore class and, and taught that. And, uh, and I think we will continue to do that. I cannot imagine that going away in the business. I mean, it's just, no. that's just, it, it had been here for 10 years already. It had been, that's what right. the place where colleges are actually catching up to the industry. Yeah. And I just can't imagine, I'll bet it will stay much more than it was five years ago. Well, yeah, because it also means for actors, it means, oh, I don't have to live in New York. I don't have to live in an expensive city. I can self-tape right. from somewhere else. And for casting directors, it means I just widened my pool. Now I can see someone who lives in Oklahoma. You know what I mean? Like it's, now I can bring in, yeah. We wanted the business to get more competitive. So it was really, it was helpful for actors. <laughs> like, yeah. We want more people. I, I, I just started a, a voiceover auditioning in, in this, you know, maybe two years ago, I started, or a year ago, I started, um, you know, working with a voiceover agent. And he was like, just so you know, we now hear from all over the country. Just That's like right. every submission. It's not just New York, it's Chicago, LA, it's yes. every market gets everyone. Great. Perfect. That's great right. time to be into it. It did get a lot more competitive, which yes, that, that is that is not great, but <laughs> it's great for students because yeah, now they can sure. start to be competitive at an, at an earlier time in their career. And tell me a little bit more about the the sort of audition season with virtual audition. So certainly if, if I pass the pre-screen and I am unable to make um, mm -hmm. one of the live audition days you have, you would schedule that. Are there going to be virtual audition days that are Anyone can participate if they just choose to, or is that more of a case-by-case -case basis? So the virtual auditions, uh, the the actual audition process, as far as like the material that you have prepared, that part is not virtual. You would submit, I mean, you would submit it virtually, mm -hmm. right? But it wouldn't be a live coaching session, okay? Mm -hmm. So whatever monologue you prepared, uh, for your pre-screen, right? You could you can read you can actually redo one of them for uh, for the live recorded audition because we didn't feel like we needed to needlessly ask people to memorize a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. like, so we said, but but we do encourage them if you're going to use a monologue that you did in your pre-screen for your live recorded final audition, we ask that you think about trying it in a new way. Mm -hmm. Right. So that we can start to see, oh, well, maybe I'll try it. You know, we can start to see some variety and some um, and get an instinct for uh, uh, or I guess get a better idea of the student's natural instincts. Mm -hmm. um, but so the live part would be an interview and that interview. Yes, there are a couple of different days that we have assigned and there would be at least two faculty in each interview session. And it really is, you know, you would show up and there would be. Um, kind of like a, a waiting room that you would be in with other students. And that was, you would be talking to the chair of the department and probably a couple students and having question and answer sessions. And meanwhile, they would let you know, hey, you know, so-and-so is on deck or you're going to be up in two people because you would know the order. And then mm -hmm. when your time came, you would just be like sent to that breakout room and then you would be with the two faculty and they would have a conversation with you. Um, and after that conversation, you have a choice of either leaving or going back to that waiting room to ask more questions or be a part of that Q&A. So hmm. that's the process of the interview. I love it. Um, any final thoughts? Anything that we didn't get to hit today that you really were like, I hope we get to talk about? I wouldn't have asked about the Globe. That was great. Anything else you're like, oh, I really I wish you mm. asked about this. I do encourage students after an audition, especially if it's a live audition, right, to walk outside that room and before they talk to anybody, write down what was working in that room and what was mm -hmm. missing in that room. So that then when you go to the next audition, 
you can remember what was missing and bring it. You know what I mean? Um, and again, I want them to, it's important that they write down the things that are working in that room because that goes back to that like generosity of self, right? Mm -hmm. To say all of this, because you also don't want to, let's say I, I identify something's missing and that's the only thing I write down. Well, now I go into that next room and I think about the thing that was missing, but I've thrown away all mm -hmm. of the good stuff because I didn't identify it. So I usually have my students walk out and I have them write down three things that were working and one thing that was missing in that audition. And then between then and the next audition, their job is to court that thing that was missing. I love it. Well, yeah. Tom, thank you so much for coming in today. I know we can follow at SUDrama underscore VPA. Yeah. Probably just like type in Syracuse Drama if I want to do that. Um, well, Tom, thank you so much for coming in today. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoy that conversation with Tom as much as Megan and I did. Um, right after the call ended, we spent like a lot of time talking about the joys of new fatherhood and like true old men, we like held up our phones to the computer screens to show each other's photos, which was ridiculous, but was very endearing. Um, and I found Tom to be just, he's so brilliant and warm. Um, he, you know, there's a reason he's so great when he teaches our masterclasses. So we just love chatting with him. And you both have a great Cute kids, too. Great, cute kids. Exactly. We'll take it. Um, <laughs> let's just do a little deeper dive. I want to talk a bit about adjustments. Um, Tom and I got a bit into that question. Um, for those who don't know what that is, adjustments sometimes are called redirects as well. Um, that's something that can happen in a college audition. Um, it actually happens quite often in a college audition. It could happen in any audition. It could happen if you just do a callback for any kind of show, right? You might do a, a piece of material once and then are given an adjustment to try it a different way. In a professional setting, often this will be a director giving an adjustment and they are kind of interested to see, can you get the part the way I want it? Or they're looking at the way you will play the part. So they're looking at that result that, that's coming out. May also be a casting director doing the same thing. They know the director's vision. Can they give you a note to see, can you get closer to that vision? So if you've experienced this in high school or maybe community theater auditions, or for those of you who've done professional auditions, it can be very tempting in those situations to try to kind of get it right, as Tom says. In a college audition, this is normally not the intention behind an adjustment given because you're not auditioning for the part in a play. The end result of your performance is actually less important than the learning experience you're having together with the professor. Uh, we talk a lot about process over product. And I think here's an example where the process and the learning that's happening is so much more important than the end result of what actually comes out after an adjustment. For me, I think it's helpful to break adjustments down into two categories. I would always say, is this a directorial adjustment, meaning is it a piece of direction, or an improv adjustment? So that first kind, directorial, it would be like any kind of direction that you would normally be given. So maybe it's a, a subtle change to the given circumstances, who you're talking to, where you are, those kind of things. It could be a piece of coaching, a different angle to try to approach the material from. These are the adjustments where it's a little trickier to avoid that getting it right approach. I would still strongly encourage students, even when you're given a directorial adjustment, to make big, bold choices and not to recreate or replicate the work that they've just done. Even in a subtle adjustment, how much can I make that second version as different as possible to honor that note and to show my flexibility and my gameness? A professor would always rather see you take a note that makes the monologue quote unquote worse, which is then their fault. They're the one who gave you the direction, as opposed to just seeing the monologue the same. Um, that second kind of adjustment, I think, is even easier once you recognize it to make those big, bold choices. Those are those improv adjustments. It might mean this is a radically different choice than the way you brought in the monologue. Um, the professor's often throwing it at you, and it's all about seeing how much you can play. 
um, they might ask you to do a monologue as a, a stand-up comedian or with an accent, or maybe it's a different character from your resume that you've played or incorporates a special skill from your resume. If you can recognize that you've just been given an improv adjustment, now you really have that freedom to take the assignment from the directorial adjustment and multiply it by 10. Now you can totally throw out the given circumstances you came in with, where in a directorial, unless otherwise specified, you would generally keep that world you created, but now you get to just really play, right? What are the first rules of improv? You get yes and, and then if this is true, what else is true? So all adjustments, including directorial, need an enthusiastic yes. I'm going to take the note. I'm going to take the adjustment. But with the improv, we really want that and as well as the, the yes. So what creative choices can you bring to the piece, even if they, again, might be spectacularly wrong or just make no sense for the material? If they've given you that, that uh, you know, beginning of an out there direction, can you keep fleshing out that world and expanding on it? These are the great time for those crazy, bold, ridiculous choices that feel right to you. Of course, only if they feel inspired to you, right? But if they asked you to do, to do an accent, for instance, does that accent also lend you toward a physicality that you want to try? Go for it. If they ask you to do a piece of like a stand-up comedian, is there a specific stand-up that you really love that's going to inspire fun for you and will give you stuff to play with? Go for it, right? In these kinds of adjustments, you're certainly welcome to improvise text as well, but you shouldn't feel like you have to rewrite the monologue as you go. So if you're inspired to do that, go for it, but don't feel like, oh my God, now I have to change every bit of text. It's okay if the text doesn't line up perfectly with whatever they've given you. I think all adjustments... The onus of thinking that just because a professor has given you this, that's the way you should do it moving forward, I would remove that from yourself. Often they are seeing, let's play with it. Let's try this. Sometimes it could be they, they actually think this will make the monologue better, and it could be something, if you like it, you keep moving forward. But if they tell you to do it like a stand-up comedian or to give you a ridiculous piece of adjustment, you should not then go into the next audition going, does this mean I've been too serious with my monologue? Right? To try to interpret from these, it's just not what the, the point of these things are. I think also I'll say about adjustments, it is so important in these moments to live in it and keep going, right? If you make a brilliant wrong mistake and let's say the room starts to break, don't let that cause you to fall out of what you're doing, right? Plow forward, investigate the mess that you've just created. So often students will make a little bit of magic and then get kind of embarrassed that, oh my God, that was an accident and it happened. And they kind of give up on themselves. If you lose the text a bit, do your best, keep going. If you have to impro improvise until you can get back to where you are, Trust that the professors know precisely how big of a challenge they've just given you, and they will appreciate your attempt to keep the balls in the air, even if you're doing a lot of juggling, as opposed to if you give up on yourself and go, oh, this is so weird. They're like, well, they know it's weird, but uh, um, keeping going, I think, will be your friend as much as possible. That's true generally in audition, but especially in those adjustments. If you can try to stay in it, live in it as long as you can, you will help yourself. Well, you've certainly stayed in this episode a long time and lived in it, and we appreciate that. Um, if you've enjoyed it and we want to hear more, please hit that little plus button, that plus button on your Apple devices or your Google devices or whatever you got. Hit that follow, hit that subscribe. We would love it if you rate and review us where you found us. We suggest five stars if you're crushing your fantasy football season or an ironic five stars if you've already moved on to basketball. That's totally okay. Um, you can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com. If you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual prep for your college audition journey, please check us out at mtcollegeauditions.com. To my young artists out there mapping their journey, don't forget, mean is not the same thing as real. We'll see you next week.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.